On this episode, a crowded solo road trip, a big heart going a long way, and breaking your image of yourself. On the second episode in our four-part series, Celebrating Women in the Outdoors. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. So we are here for our second episode in our Women's History Month. So we're actually doing something special this month for Women's History Month, where we're doing a weekly episode interviewing women in the outdoors, everyday heroes, all that kind of stuff. So um, while we will not be doing this every week, this is not a weekly podcast, we're doing a special four-week run here with some lovely and amazing women. So um, today... We're talking to Jamie Chrisman and Paulina Dow. Uh, both had really kind of cool adventures that they did on their own. I mean, Jamie had some uh, some friends along with her for part of her ride, which was a 200K mountain bike, fat bike through the snow, a race. I can't even imagine that. What about you guys? No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I've done a little bit of road cycling and what I would consider, quote unquote, mountain biking. But um, I mean, there's something appealing, though, about riding through the woods in the middle of the winter, maybe not just for 40 hours, which we'll hear about. Yeah. And at night as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that maybe riding in the snow at night, maybe might be a bit much for me. Yeah. In a storm. In a storm. So That's, yeah, I mean, super, insane. I think yeah. we're soft because we live in Southern California. Yeah. Probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, super amazing. I mean, super amazing what she did and, and like, you know, extra cool that she actually won the race just, just for like persevering and being tough. Yep. Having heart. It was pretty cool. Yeah, and part of it, it's not just just a race because it's, I mean, it's self-supported in a lot of ways because you have to be able to take care of yourself out there. So it's kind of a cool combination, too, of bike packing, which is basically where you're camping or bike, you know, camping with your bike. So all of your gear that you need to stay overnight is on your bike and a mountain bike race. So it's this sort of two things that need to be happening. I can't even imagine how heavy the bike was. I think I asked her at one point and she said she didn't even want to know because if she knew it would be too depressing <laughs> to know, like, cause you have to push your bike uphill a lot uh, through the snow. Yeah. Hike and bike. Hike and bike. Hike and bike. Yep. Yeah. Hike and bike. I, I had my first you know, experience with bike packing this last summer and it didn't go as well as I'd hoped. Uh, but I have, I'm hoping to do a redemption tour this summer on the Oregon Timber Trail. Yeah. Has your rib, has your rib healed yet? My, my rib, I did crack a rib uh, on the first day of our trip. I did manage to get back on the trail and, and sort of finish the last segment, but uh, there's a, a gap where I missed out, and I want to go back and do the whole thing, that whole segment over again, the day shoots here. But uh, yeah, my rib is healed. I'm good. My bike was fine. You know, I've got all the gear and now it's just all about getting the cost per use down so that I, I'm not embarrassed to say what it was. <laughs> I can appreciate that. You guys are better than me. I'm, I, again, I cycle a lot. I ride a lot, but, um, I'm kind of a weenie when it comes to traveling. Um, when I, when I did basically me and my friend section rode the entire West, West coast, all the way up from, from Port Angeles down to the, down to the border, the Mexican border down on the beach down near San Diego. And we stayed in hotels. We, we went to like foodie restaurants most of our like destination cities were based purely around who had the best brewery so whoever had the best microbrewery or tap room was you know would decide where we would start and finish our rides 
That sounds like an awesome trip. Actually. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and again, I think I said in the first episode, it did take us twelve years to finish, so it was not a, it was not like an expedient uh, adventure goal. But hey, we did finally finish it a couple years ago, and uh, and it was a blast. When my husband and I were first married, we were both very into cycling, and so and he's not a huge pr- into travel, so I got him to Spain on our honeymoon to go on a cycling vacation, and so it was like a win-win for both of us. And there was one day, so every day was you know like. 60 miles, 50 miles. And it was like beautiful through Northern Spain, gorgeous. And there's one day where you had the option of um, cycling to the beach and you could either spend the afternoon at the beach or you could, you know, continue the loop and ride home. And we had this plan. I was like, that's my day. My day is we were riding to the beach and we were staying at the beach. This is our honeymoon. We don't have to ride every day. It was the only day on the trip where it rained the entire day. We rode all the way to the beach in the rain and had lunch and like under like a bus stop. <laughs> and I was so sad, but I didn't have to ride home at least in the rain. We, uh, we, we did have on that trip, we did have some pretty, pretty wretched weather days as well. Actually, Big Sur, it might have been the coldest I've ever been in my life was our Big Sur stretch was like, it was like that, you know, every couple of years we get that super cold storm that comes through here and even like all the, the, the roads in and out of LA, like even the one, like the 101 is closed, the pass over the 101 and it was that, it was basically that weekend, I think four years ago or five years ago and we were like on the 17 mile drive through Carmel and it was like 31 degrees outside, like, like just crazy 20, 30 mile per hour winds and it was just blowing like the ocean water onto us and just freezing in a headwind. So we were supposed to ride all the way down to the city of Big Sur, but we we hit a coffee shop, which was supposed to be our halfway point in Carmel and never made it back onto the bikes that day. So we had to go back and and re-ride that a couple years later. But yeah, it's, it's part of the adventure, I guess. But but uh, it is it is it's when you're going through it, it's not the most fun. No, I think knowing that there's a warm bed and a hot shower uh, usually helps too to keep your motivating, keep motivating through the bad weather. But sometimes you have everything on your bike and keep going. I'm excited to excited to share the story with you all. Um, so I'm sitting here with Jamie Crisman, and we're very excited to talk about her recent adventure slash win slash accomplishment. Um, and Jamie, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself and tell people, you know, what you just happened to do recently. Well, I'm Jamie Christman. I'm here in Victor, Idaho, and I just finished Jay Peterberry's uh, Fat Pursuit in Island Park, Idaho. Um, I did the 200K, and I set out to finish, which I did, and by chance, I also took first, <laughs> which was an unexpected but happy surprise. And what is a 200-kilometer 200 fat, 200 fat pursuit, for those who don't know? Uh, well, it's a fat bike race on groomed trails um, up in Island Park. There's, I don't know the amount, but many, many hundreds of miles of groomed trails. Um, so it's a 120-mile loop from starting in the Ponds Lodge, getting into West Yellowstone. So you ride on the border of Yellowstone, and then back to the Ponds Lodge. Um, yeah, it's a... It took, uh, took me 41 hours, so it's not a quick endeavor. The first man um, took 20 hours. <laughs> so it was, uh, for me, it was just about finishing and slow and steady. Awesome. And for those who don't know, so fat biking is basically you outfit a mountain bike with giant tires so that you can ride in the snow. And so when Jamie's talking about groomed trails, 
it's groomed snow trails. So let's just be clear that we're not riding on roads. We are riding through the snow. Correct. Um, and this year seemed to present some pretty epic challenges, being the fact that it is, I mean, it's always in the winter, so that in itself is going to be a challenge. But um, tell us a little bit about the weather this year. It snowed pretty much the whole time we were out there. Um, I honestly, we knew it was going to dumping, and the forecast was like, it can snow six inches or two feet. Uh, so waking up and going to the start of the race, you know, I expected to maybe go to the first aid station, which I believe is seven miles. And I thought that would be our, our day. And that could, in the worst conditions, that could have taken us all day to do, to go out and back. Um, so at the racer meeting that morning, uh, Jay informed us that it snowed a foot up high. So I was like, oh, well, we'll just go out for fun. We'll just go do the first little bit and then uh, see what happens. Well, they were awesome and they V plowed it, which is um, this piece of machinery that goes behind a snow machine and groomed it basically all the way to that aid station and up and around. So come to happily surprise, come to find out we were able to ride and it was really fast to get to that aid station. And then we continued on. Um, yeah, it was incredible. It's how how do you even prepare for something like this? So how did you, first of all, how did you even get in? How long have you been fat biking slash mountain biking? Let's start there. Okay. Um, I started mountain biking, I'm going to say 12 years ago now. Um, I just bought a cheap bike and a friend took me mountain biking for the first time and I was hooked. I loved it. Um, uh, I think within, for our five-year anniversary, we went and did a bikepacking trip in Colorado called the Hut to Hut on the San Juan Hut system. And that was like my first intro to bikepacking and immediately fell in love with that as well and wanted more. Um, and then a couple years later, I got my first fat bike, which was a Surly Pugsley. And I kind of joke around because, and I was thinking about this during the race, we literally would ride our bike to Fitzgerald's for coffee and then ride home, which is about an eight mile round trip. <laughs> and that was like our first fat bike adventures was just really local. And it was really intimidating going out there in the weather and not knowing how to dress properly, um, stay warm, but not sweat out. Um, and so it kind of just progressed slowly. So I attribute my finish to actually my bike packing trips. Um, just learning how to be in the bike all day long. Um, on those trips, you learn how to feed yourself all day long. Um, and then I also did a JP's Fat Camp last winter, which was a four-day, like, fat bike camp, basically. We camped outside for four nights, but during the day, we would do some riding. But we also covered, like, gear, how to stay hydrated, how to not have your water freeze, how to keep your feet dry. Um, that was, for me, it just instilled confidence that I wasn't going to die out there, <laughs> that I knew how to take care of myself in the winter. And um, knowing that this event was going to be overnight, knowing that I knew how to set up a bivy and be okay. And did you, do you plan to sleep overnight or like what sort of, do you, I mean, 40 hours is long enough. Do you sleep? Do you not sleep? Yes. So, um, like, when Gary did it, my husband, two years ago, he just rode all night and he finished at like whatever, four in the morning. I knowing I 
I, I knew myself well enough that I felt like I needed to sleep. Um, so we had a, not knowing how the course was going to be, like we kind of had a plan to like, so at mile 65, there's a West Yellowstone aid station. It's a house so you can um, eat and dry your clothes. Like our intention was to get there and then maybe ride another 10 miles and then maybe. Um, we did not get to that aid station until 11.30. So it was much later. And by the time we ate and dried our clothes, like my buff and beanie and everything was wet, just mostly from the snow. Um, it was already like 12.30, almost 1 o'clock, and I needed sleep. I just needed to be off my bike for a while because at that point, that's the longest I've ever been on my bike. That <laughs> is a long time. So we bivvied for three hours um, in West Yellowstone and then went back to the aid station, filled up our hydration. Um, I ate some soup really quick and then we were on our bikes again by five. Yeah. Crazy. What was, um, what would you say, like, what were some of the high highs and what were some of the low lows? My low low, believe it or not, was around mile 10. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like after it set in that like, oh, we made it past that aid station where my brain thought we were turning around, that I was like, oh my gosh, we're really doing this and what is it gonna look like? Um, I wanted to quit. I literally was like, I don't wanna be out here. Why am I doing this? I don't wanna ride my bike for the next two days. Um, this sucks. And I'm like, how do I tell people I quit? Like, I put so much training and money and emotional support from everybody. Uh, and then I really started thinking about my friend Kelly, who did the event a couple years prior, and she's done other ultras, called me the day before and gave me a pep talk. And one thing that really stuck out was don't worry about time. Like time, you have, a, you have lots of time. And just be present and enjoy, enjoy it. Um, so I kind of started that her voice started speaking to me and I just started looking around and started looking at the snowfall and I started looking at how pretty the trees were because they're just covered in this beautiful snow and I saw a little blue sky and that is kind of what stamped me out of it was really just like getting out of my head and getting out of that really fearful place and like just being present and she's like enjoy it and so I started to enjoy it <laughs> yep and that was for me like mentally one of the lowest points of the whole time um i think little highs would be like oh we made the first loop and then oh we did our water boil and then we made it back up oh my god we're at the turn we're going on and then we kept going and like oh we made it to west like so it, it was like all these little milestones like just kept feeding me and i feel like after that moment i wanted to quit i never thought that again awesome. i was like I, yeah so that was awesome. <laughs> Came on. <laughs> it was. And I, um, you know, Jay, I do this anyways when I'm writing, but I have a mantra a lot. Like when things get tough out there, you know, it's just like strong and powerful, strong and powerful. Um, the race director, Jay, Jay, mentioned that the night before, like use a mantra. And so I was, you know, I bring that up a lot. And then I would say like halfway through the event, determination kind of got, that was the next one that kind of came about and I just felt this like deep in my soul like so determined kind of something I've never felt in a, in a different kind of way like I could taste it and I just was like this could really happen like this is amazing let's just keep moving so exciting what what did you do to perfect I mean obviously 
you've been, you know, fat biking for now for a while, yep. you've been bike yep. biking, but what did you do specifically to prepare for this event? Yeah. So sorry, I digressed on the whole thing. So all that experience I think helped me succeed, but knowing I was, once I signed up for this event, I, um, got a training program. So I work with, I go to a gym called Target Athletics and, um, Dane and Josh there, like he focused on my writing and she focused on the gym time. And so they came up with this great plan that got me out and we, we started really training about three months out. So it'd be, um, training rides outside. I did a few big training rides, like bigger than I've ever done up to that point. Um, we rode part of the course for one of the training rides and then lots of gym time knowing I was going to push my bike for hours and hours. Um, we did a lot of arm stuff, core stuff, and of course legs. Um, so I would say the combination of that was great. Uh, my husband, Gary was really great at getting my bike set up for me. I ended up switching some gears around, um, got all new bags, just, he dialed my bike in and got that part ready for me, which was awesome. When, so obviously through the snow, there's times where you have to push your bike. How heavy is your bike with all, loaded with all the gear and all the stuff, would you say? Approximately. I have no idea. Maybe 50 pounds? That's good. Like, do you even want to know? <laughs> like, I, I don't, yeah, exactly. I can't lift, I can't lift it very well fully loaded. Yeah. And, you know, we went over this mountain called Two Top, and the snow was to my knees, and then you're pushing up high, so being kind of a short person, I was almost maxed out of what I could push, <laughs> because <laughs> the bike was almost higher than me. <laughs> so, slow and steady for hours of pushing. That's crazy. So, um, because we like to talk about sort of like everyday heroes and stuff like that. So are you a professional athlete? Are you a professional biker? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm by no means a professional. I don't do, what do, you I, do? Don't, I don't race events. Let's just put it that way. Um, the pursuit I volunteered for at, I guess I volunteered at the pursuit for a few years um, doing like timing at the end of events, cheering on my friends um, I do, I'm a photographer, so I've also just volunteered there doing photos. Uh, but the community that has been created there is so wonderful that I was inspired by all these people and, and inspired to give it a go myself. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what percentage, <coughs> I know this was a tough year, what percentage of people ended up dropping out? Do you know? Um, you know, I just read somewhere that 30 people signed up. 10, 10 people finished, I think. Yeah. So a third of the, yeah. And it's hard, you know, the West Yellowstone house, it's a house and it's a good, a lot of people quit there because it's easy, I guess. So comfortable and warm and cozy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I knew going out, I wasn't going to be fast. So I was one of, so I rode with my husband and uh, a friend of ours and I knew I was going to be slowing them down and they were great riding my pace ish you know i kind of probably sped it up a little because of them but um i knew we wouldn't be fast we weren't going to be in the top finishing but um i think us being slow kind of worked out because then it, it got timed there's a groomer that goes out and grooms at night so in a kind of weird way us being slow actually helps our success because we were able to have some groom trails differently than they did got it very cool yeah. Is this something that you would want to do again? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it was funny, like the day after, I'm like, 
it snowed like a foot up there. Actually, the whole weekend it probably snowed. I think somebody said 33 inches. But anyways, I was cleaning my car off, and I was like, huh, next year, I think it's going to be a 150. He's rerouting it. And I was like, I'm gonna, I think I could do that. And, like, I have a whole year to train for that. And maybe I could do it this year by myself and, like, try that challenge differently. So, yes, I'm – and I think for me – you know, I approach the event as a bikepacking trip, yep. more so of like taking the pressure off of a, ra- of a race and just going out and, you know, finishing was amazing, but for me it was really just giving it, just starting, I guess, and seeing how, how I could do. Um, I wanted to quit the week before. I was like, why didn't I just put all this money and go to Tahiti? <laughs> 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 but I'm really glad I stuck it out to see what could happen because I, <clears throat> I like I I can't really put it into words because I think I've broke my own vision of myself that I'm like trying to like re realign of what's possible in my own brain because I surprised myself yeah I love that. Um, It seems like not only did, yeah, the race was transformational in many ways, it sounds like. Um, For people who don't know what bikepacking is, maybe tell them a little bit about bikepacking. So I know you've had some amazing, like, non-snow adventures on your bike. Yeah. Um, So bikepacking is just carrying all your gear as if you were backpacking, I suppose. Kind of the same gear. It's all lightweight gear, but you're just carrying it on your bike. like we look at a lot of routes on bikepacking.com, which is a great inspirational starting point to plan trips. And um, I really, really enjoy just living off my bike for a week at a time and seeing the world at a slower pace. Um, and there's everything from, I mean, people road tour, they grab a bike tour, and then there's more like, um, Jeep trails, single track, whatever, your comfort level and any distance you want to go. It's a great way to see the world, really. Very cool. What would you, um, you know, people often say, like, oh, I could never do that. That's crazy. Like, that's just, you know, whatever. What would you give, what advice would you give to somebody who's looking at a goal like this and thinking, I could never do something like that? Don't limit yourself. Um, I remember being at Fat Pursuit. So they have a 60K course as well. And uh, when my husband did it for the first time, I think four years ago, I remember seeing these people finish. And it happened to be a really cold year. I think it was negative 20. So I was at the finish watching all these emotions and thinking I could never do that. And um, I would never have thought four years ago I would have just finished this event. Um, the 200k, uh, but what it really was is I just kept moving forward and kept riding my bike, not for the event, but because I love it. And I set this goal as a personal challenge, and I I'm so glad I I how what's the word I dreamt big because I surprised myself, and um, I really just encourage anybody who has a little dream make it a big dream and just take baby steps. I mean, what, like for us, it was just one pedal stroke at a time. I love that. I love that it, you know, it's not about winning. It's not about racing, but it's about doing something you love. And so yeah, that reminder of like doing something you love. Like I'm just doing something I love. I love to do this. And I'm just 
pushing myself, you know, a little bit <laughs> harder to do what I love. A little bigger. Yeah, just a little bigger. Well, you know, when I signed up for the event, uh, Gary and I were kind of just joking around about me being the passionate underdog. Because I'm not a racer. I'm not, like, I feel like sometimes I get looked at because I'm not, like, an endurance athlete body or whatever. That um, I had to do this for myself and, like, be strong for myself. And the passionate underdog, I feel like it's, it's something, someone that has tons of heart. You know, I think that's the most important, like having that big heart that has that passion that wants to try something big or small. Like, I don't care what you do. Just, you know, like have a goal and work towards it. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, what was, what was the emotion? So like, we'll just sort of finish it with the finish line. Like what, what was <sighs> that moment like to come across the finish yeah. line? And did you know you were, you, did you know at that point that you were going to be the first woman when you, you were finishing? Yeah. So there's only four women on bikes. Okay. So like I knew this, I think her name is Patty Jo. Anyways, she, I saw her right at the aid station. She turned around and then we ended up riding half the route with another girl, Erin. So I knew, um, and then we had passed the other girl at some point. I saw her at the aid station and then she passed us and then we saw her again. Um, so I just knew because it's, you know, there's only a few of us. Um, I did know, uh, I did know that I was in first, which was, for me, it was about finishing, but then I was, uh, it was like an added bonus, I guess, or extra icing on the cake. Um, so I did ride, like I said, with, uh, Zach and Gary, and, um, that last 10 miles was hard. Uh, apparently it took us, six hours ago, 20 miles, I think. Okay. Although it felt like two hours, but yeah, at the same time, like you start smelling the barn and I just wanted to be done and my knee was hurting. Um, and I was thinking we finished the, go across the finish line together. But my husband, he's like, I want you to experience this by yourself. So he let me go first and they hung out in the trees, just to let me experience it. Aww. You know, you tree eyed. Um, and I thought I would cry because I cry all the time at stuff like that. But I think I was so tired and kind of in shock that I went across. My mom was there, which was really amazing. And then our friend Jeremy, he ran with me to under the finish line and gave me like the best big hug. And it was 12 o'clock at night, <laughs> you know, and there's my friends were there just cheering us on. It was amazing. Like I can't, I think I'm still processing to some way because it was such a, big accomplishment in my world that there's just a lot of gratitude I guess and then to see Gary and Zach and Aaron come across was awesome yeah yeah it was fun um it was one of those crazy things where I was like tracking I was like tracking you all night I was like oh you still going I was like sweat like 40 hours tracking you which was awesome I'm like she's still going she's still going I was like isn't it amazing how blue dot can be so exciting <laughs> or red or I don't know what color we were but um, like at one point, I think, um, yeah, you were saying, you know, you were, you guys were going, I think it said you were going like two miles an hour or something. And then when I talked to you later, you're like, oh yeah, we were like pushing our bikes that whole time. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Like I didn't even <laughs> think about the fact that like, I just imagined you riding the whole time. I was like, oh, that sounds so hard. And then seeing the pictures of you at the finish were so exciting. Oh, thank you. So it was really really fun to like after a thing like I woke up in the morning and just get 
like so much love from people. Like I didn't realize I had so many like people rooting me on, um, which made it even more special to think that people were like watching and cheering me on, but also hopefully like that ripple effect of being inspired. Yeah. So I love you. I don't know if I'm get that inspired. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're inspired for your own thing. Cause look, you, could have, you signed up for some running races, right? That's true. I did. Yeah. yeah. Oh. You've done big things. Yeah. So, and it's not like kind of what we were talking about. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be 41 hours on the bike. It could be, I mean, it could literally be like riding your bike to the grocery store and back. Like whatever. That's where I started. I mean, I used to walk my bike all the time up my hill, which uh, up to my house, which is not that steep. So it's amazing determination. Awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I'm super proud of you. I can't wait for other people to hear about your accomplishment um, and hopefully be inspired uh, to do something that they love as passionately as much as you love biking. Oh, well, thank you for your time. <laughs> that, that was great. Thanks, Severia. That, that, what, a, what a badass, man. That's super cool that she did that. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. Um, she's somebody I've known for years. And so to see her experience that journey, and I was following her along all night, like checking in on her little blue dot as it went through, it was really fun to sort of see her accomplishing a goal that I know she's had for a long time. Uh, and the next little bit we have here is uh, from our friend uh, Paulina Dow. And uh, it's part of a larger interview and a future episode about the Wonderland Trail. But uh, she had this cool little side story we did, so we figured it would be uh, a perfect fit for our, our women's uh, celebration of women in the outdoors. Yeah, great little bonus bonus segment on this episode. Speaking, actually, so speaking of having no friends, um, tell us. I'm a little, right here, Severia. I know, right? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk about the solo adventure you went on this summer. Your road trip. Oh yeah. I was just like, wait, what solo adventure what did solo I go solo adventure? On? Well, yeah, so, the whole point um, that you went solo and it wasn't very solo at all, right? Yeah, so um, back in April, I quit my job and I had a couple weeks off um, in between before I started my new job. And I was dating somebody else at that time who was really like my regular climbing partner. Um, but he works for a very, very corporate company and he used up all his vacation earlier in the year. Um, so I was just like, well, I have this time off and I'm not going to just sit around at home. Um, so I decided that I was going to go on a climbing road trip by myself. Um, I've never done anything like that. You know, he was always the person who was driving us everywhere and I would get to sleep in the front seat. Um, he was kind of the one who would pick destinations and find things for me to climb. Um, and he would also make sure that you know, I was safe, um, and he spotted me and, you know, buoyed me. And so the act of, you know, getting in my, packing up my car and going somewhere completely solo was something that was super out of my comfort zone because the person that I usually did all those things with wasn't there. Um, but it was really, it ended up being really cool. Um, I thought that I wouldn't make any friends. I thought that I would spend most of my time by myself and, like, I would get to climb, but I would only climb things that I thought that would be attainable to me or where I wouldn't fall or where a fall zone was safe and I could land on a pad. And I also brought rope climbing gear with me um, on the off chance that I made friends to climb with. But I was just like, oh, I probably won't end up roping up with people. Um, so as luck would have it, um, 
I went to a couple different locations. So my first one was St. George, really close to Zion National Park. And it turns out I knew a girl who lived out there, and she came out and climbed with me for a day. And then after that, I headed to Joe's Valley, and some people from the Bay Area happened to also be in Joe's Valley for, for the week or so. And so I climbed a little bit with them, and then we had some bad weather come, come in, and it was snowing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pack up, and I'm going to head to Moab. And Moab was kind of a little bit different. I'd been talking to a girl that I knew from a Facebook group, and we were, like, very loosely keeping in touch with each other. And she's like, I'm going to be in Moab. And I knew I was going to Moab at some point in time, but I didn't know when. Um, but then somehow our trips just happened to collide, and she told me, hey, I'm sleeping under this tree on this dirt road. You should come by. So then I came over and found her car, and we headed off instantly. Um, and we kind of stayed up all night talking, and then the next day it was super rainy. So we went into town, um, found some other friends who I didn't know were in the area, hung out with them, and we were trying to just escape the rain. So we headed to the library, which is, I guess, where everybody goes when it rains in Moab because there's free Wi-Fi and nobody will kick you out. And I'm sitting around doing a little bit of work, and she's like, hanging out charging her her phone and these two guys just started talking to her and suddenly um our little group of like two to three people became a group of five people caravanning to find a place to camp um i pull up onto this plateau and there's another truck parked there and i'm like well this is a super big plateau there's going to be plenty of room for an additional five cars um so i'm sitting in my car kind of just waiting for everybody to arrive and like the people in the other truck that's, like, across the plateau for me get out of their car. And they start walking over to me, and I'm like, oh, gosh, this is going to be terrible. They're going to be really mad that I'm, like, taking their whole campsite, and they're going to yell at me and kick me out. And so they, like, tap on my window, and I roll down my window, and I'm like, hi, like, how's it going? And the first thing someone said to me was, oh, so we're going to be neighbors tonight. Um, so it kind of just took off from there. And, you know, like, my little solo road trip ended up turning into, like, this community of about 10 people just hanging out and climbing and making dinner and being friends. It was definitely very unexpected. That's awesome. I feel like that's the story you hear, whether it's on a road trip or outdoors or, you know, on a through hike or trail, we hear that a lot. That you sort of meet people along the way, you're sort of similar or similar-ish enough itineraries that you keep bumping into each other and... There's something about the magic of being outdoors and meeting people who have a common agenda, whether or not it's, mm-hmm. you know, all the things you may have different going on at home. There's that one commonality that brings you all together randomly. Yeah. Hi, everyone. This is Severia, one of the co-hosts of the Almost There Adventure podcast, which you're listening to, and the founder of Adventurous Women. We are really excited to be bringing you these episodes for the month of March, featuring amazing women doing extraordinary things. And on that note, we would love to invite you to one of the Adventurous Women Escapes. They are all-inclusive outdoor weekends for women, and they include everything, lodging, food, activities, and just a great way to get together with a bunch of other women in the outdoors. And we are offering, for being a listener, $200 off using the code ALMOSTTHERE200. The number is 200, almost there, 200 uh, to get $200 off the escapes. And we'd love to see you there. You can find out more information at our website, adventurouswomen.com. 
and that is A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-U-S, women.com. Hope to see you there, and thanks for listening. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Almost There Adventure podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at almost there underscore AP, or of course, find us on Facebook and other social media places. Almost There, our, our title music was performed by Opus Orange and is provided to us courtesy of Emoto Music. And if you want to follow us individually, you can follow Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. You can follow Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, and you can follow me at The Muir Project. Make sure to check out our next episode. We are joined by writer, PCT section hiker, and our good friend, Shante Salabert. Rather than two weeks, is only going to be a week from now as we are doing one episode every week for the month of March to celebrate Women's History Month. So make sure to check us out and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.